I'm just tired. I am tired of seeing bill after bill with no headlining women. I don't get it. I really do intend to stand with women in this new era and keep pushing our motivation to be equally represented. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Does she wake up, put on makeup in the bathroom And go to work and stay real late and text you she'll be back soon Bet her boss runs his fingers round her pretty blonde platinum do I bet you never thought about that, did you? And it's none of my business, and I don't want to get involved If you're thinking that she's good I think you should be tough She got you on your knees like a Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose, and I'm coming off an incredibly full Americana Fest. I got to sit on two different panels with Jeff Fasano, the photographer, and also Kevin Cassini, the attorney, where we talked about copyright law. I got to nerd out a little bit. I was in a handful of shows. I did a showcasing show at the Cannery Ballroom, along with a rooftop show at the Westin Hotel, And I also jumped in for a compilation show called 1971, where I sang Carole King's I Feel the Earth Move. It was so much fun. And in addition to all of that, I got to put together an editorial spread that I was the feature for, for Bellow Magazine that's coming out soon. I can't wait for you to see it. So your girl is tired, but this should put some pep in your step because we're talking to the incredible Jade Bird. Jade Bird is a young artist with an old soul. Her music is confident, her voice distinctive, and in this episode we talk about how she developed her sound and songwriting style. We talk about the pressure to constantly be working and putting out new music, about where she gets her inspiration from, and the ever-present distraction of social media and how it can adversely affect creativity. She's an artist who's incredibly self-aware. She tells me about why it was so important to her to figure out how to write songs on her own without a collaborator, and how her songwriting style has evolved as she's grown as an artist. Jade Bird is a singer-songwriter with a powerful voice who offers a winsome mix of folk, pop, and rustic Americana. While she was still in her teens, she joined the roster of influential indie Glassnote Records, which released her self-titled chart-topping 2019 debut album. Working with Grammy Award-winning producer Dave Cobb, she delivered her follow-up, Different Kinds of Light, in 2021. This quote that gave Taylor guitar is because it describes her well. I'm a tiny girl, and people assume I'm going to have a pretty, soft voice. I've always thrived from that because it just means I can show them I have a set of lungs on me. Well, I can attest, after speaking with Jade Bird, that not only does she have a great set of lungs on her, but she has a fantastic, artistic brain. So let's get into it. This is Jade Bird. I think people wanted me to be country. I think, I mean, I don't mind Americana anymore. I mean, I think Americana is just like, it feels to me like songwriters, like they're my companions. Like, I you know I would love to be up with 
Brandy Carlisle, like some of my favorites, like Lucinda Williams, like they're my heroes. But uh, country's hard because it's even now quite a male space. I think Brandy referenced it in her most recent book, actually, saying how, and the way it sort of is quite reductive of women and its lyrics by men as well, I found quite interesting. And due to it going into pop, I feel like, because I really love the way that in the 60s or 70s it came full circle when you had Dolly and Emmy Lou Harris and, you know, Tammy Onette, they were all coming out and being extremely feminist at the time, even though ironically they don't identify with that label, which <laughs> I find such an interesting debate. Interesting yeah, is a good yeah. word for it. Yeah, I was going to say. But I think we're coming back around. Like, I hope there will be some headway in country music. I just, I don't know. I felt maybe it was too reductive and eager to sort of pin that on me in a way. But, you know, it is what it is. I think it's when you're young as well, when you're trying to find your sound, people might be able to take note on that and be like, just because I wasn't sure where I was at. But I've always made music that I enjoy listening to, which is such a varied playlist of stuff, you know? I think it all fits so comfortably together with your sound, though. There is folkiness and even punk elements to it, soul, R&B. It doesn't feel affected. It feels like you. But I know I've dealt with this challenge of it being nearly impossible to course correct when you feel like the perception being cast about you is not in line with where you want to go and you take it. And it's interesting for me to have heard you say that because the first time I saw you perform was at the Americana Honors and Awards Ceremony Mm -hmm. 2019 Mm -hmm. at the Ryman. And it was just you and an electric. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome because I could imagine all the production without hearing it on stage, just you and your incredible voice and this guitar and it fits. And I think it's part of this conversation that's ongoing about the evolution of what Americana even is. And some people are traditionalists and they don't want it to change. And others are making room at the table to be more inclusive. And I feel like we just kind of figure it out on our own without worrying too much about the marketing angle. Well, that's why I always admire people with like 10 year long careers. Like I look at PJ Harvey, I look at Tori Amos, I look at, you know, even Radiohead, like nobody's really all there on their first record. You know, like Alanis Morissette had a whole career before Jackie Little Pill. And I find it a lot healthier to admire people with that sort of trajectory. You know, again, to mention Randy Carlisle, because overnight success is actually quite limited, I find, in the span of people's career. And I've never really had ambition for that. I've had ambition to be a songwriter for the longest time I possibly can. So I think for young artists, it's a lot more healthy to look at people who've had that trajectory as opposed to like, you know, certain people who are like flash in the pan that press likes to shove down our throats and be like, loves the magic of it, which is great. You know, I'm not by any means saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, I wish we had a more healthy narrative for young artists when they're coming up. Absolutely. And a more healthy narrative for long established artists as well. Sometimes because you've been doing this for over a decade, people think that you're damaged goods or Brandy's such a great example because she Mm -hmm. had a lot of success even 10 years ago, but now she's, I feel like just this fully fleshed out artist that people have a really intimate understanding of because we've been able to see her sustain and keep delivering and being consistent while evolving her sound 
working with Dave Cobb, which I know you've been doing. And Yeah, second record. Yeah, I mean, I think people like Dave are such allies to people in music and especially women in music because, I mean, that guy doesn't make you feel like there's any clock when you're in the studio. You know, he doesn't make you feel like there's any clock in general. If anything, I think he's the type of person I'd walk into a room and if the songs aren't good enough, I'd take more time to do it. You know, I'd take more time to write. And I think the weird thing about the pandemic was it gave me, you know, probably the three, four months extra to finish my album. And I wrote eight of the songs in the extra time that I wouldn't have had if there hadn't been a pandemic. I wrote half my album that I'm most proud of, like literally two weeks before we went in recording. And I don't think we give it much time in our society now or in our like artistry now to evolve because you're so scared of being irrelevant because there's mm-hmm. so many more artists in the world. Like because we have this new ability so anyone can do it, there's a flux of people. And so you want to stay relevant. You don't want to make music if no one's there to kind of enjoy it or listen to it. It would just be a shame. So you sometimes probably let that get to the record and don't make the best record for fear of that. Yeah. Nothing's a creative killer, like feeling like you're under the clock. And yeah, and I think that's also the accessibility that we were touching on earlier about social media and this pressure to just constantly be putting out music and doing something and appearing to be busy or else that means that it will translate as us not being successful or in demand. And like you have to fill up the well and you have to work with someone who's going to collaborate with you and allow you to really extract the best production that you can. And these are precious songs. Exactly. And I think it would be fine if normal life allowed you to fill up the well. I think it would be fine if, you know, we weren't so attached to like the age old boomer argument of like, bones are bad. But like, (laughs) if we weren't like, being hounded by other people's visions, which is an effect of what a phone is. You know, it's an effect of what social media is. For all its negatives, you are seeing people's visions. But sometimes you need space from that to ever get your own or to carve your own. I have to go to such an alien place to write or record. I can't write at home. I can't write on my phone. I have to just go for six to eight hours and be in my own brain to work out what it is I want to say and if it's worth saying and cut things down and Unfortunately, having a handheld device that is exposing you to people's visions 24 hours a day, I don't think that's the best creatively. But, you know, everyone's different. No, I totally agree. And I, it's mm. interesting. I haven't really talked in this nuanced of a way with another artist about it, about the bombardment of other people's creativity. I think I'm a firm believer in in order to be worth a shit, we need to consume great music and, mm-hmm. and be listening and paying attention but sometimes it's that unsolicited presentation that we're served up that we're like, wait a minute, I was in the middle of my train of thought and this is beautiful and well thought out. But now I'm yeah. thinking about that train of thought and the marketing thing. And again, the comparison thing, not that we can't be altruistic and happy for other people and having found that, but it does seem like there's always something there to kind of pull us off course a little bit. Well, it's not just the records, you know, that's the problem. I think I read when D'Angelo and Questlove made that famous record, like they went to the record store and they bought all the great records, went back to the studio, listened to them all, and then proceeded to make one of the greatest albums of all time. But we're not talking about records, we're not talking about music, we're not talking about plugging in and listening to an album. Like you said, we're talking about marketing campaigns, 
constantly. And ironically, mm-hmm. I've moved to the most, you know, the capitalist country in the world. But like, it's heavy <laughs> as a minute. Yeah, it's heavy. It's every single minute of the day. And you have to remind yourself that while it can be a friend to your vision and a friend to your art that you've made, because again, more people will be introduced to it with a successful inverted commas campaign, it's the enemy of really trying to source anything, grow anything. It's like dark to plant. It does feel Black Mirror-esque. Yeah, yeah. Ask in the sense that it's like subliminal messages just kind of flashing across our screens all day long. And I have been a little bit more gentle in approaching my curiosity about like, why did I just have a mood swing? And I can usually attribute it <laughs> to something. Yeah. I'm like, why am I violently cranky all of a sudden? And yeah, I attribute it to having seen something that just made me feel unworthy, not enough, which is, I think, another enemy of creativity. And We're probably exactly right because it's aimed to emotionally manipulate you. And the whole point of music is to be able to emotionally manipulate yourself right. into feeling better. <laughs> That's why you write, like to yeah. feel better or to get it out of your system. So the two comparisons are both coming at you. You're mm-hmm. not getting anything out. They're like both kind of looking in. And I imagine that's probably why it's too much because you're just in a one-way stream of consuming as opposed to getting it out which is so healthy for people to do which is why we all do music in the first place to get it out right well you were saying earlier about how your writing process is pretty insular Mm -hmm. and I read that you don't really like to co-write you like to write everything by yourself and I think that's Mm -hmm. really tremendous especially in circles where like it's clear that you're a good collaborator when it comes to putting the record together. You're working with all these talented people in the studio, but why is writing songs by yourself so important to you? I think initially it was a mixture between wanting to be seen as a writer and feeling like if I had collaborated with people who didn't really represent my experience, especially as a young woman, I always found it a bit dissonant going in with an older white guy and trying to explain my experience. I just found that dissonant. I found it very hard. I I found it quite musically violating. I I didn't like it, to be honest with you. Maybe that's because I didn't find the right guy. But I also was kind of facing this point that I wanted to be seen as like this standalone songwriter which I felt like I was, which I needed to also do. Like I needed to get better on my own. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a mixture of being precious and not finding the right person perhaps. But then, you know, it's ironic. This next album is about being in love and trying to get away from a past deceptive on being in love. You know, when you're a kid and your family's a bit of a mess in terms of divorces and stuff like that, you have to really start to define it on your own and not, put it on your partner this perception you have of it and it was ironic because I started writing with my partner with this music so I write the starting idea and he just helped me develop it to a better song um so it's a nice kind of cycle I think for me like coming back mm-hmm. to the start being able to write with someone else and not be as precious and make the songs better you know I think that's pretty awesome that you had that self-awareness so early on because I think and at the risk of sounding ungrateful, I had so many people to collaborate with when I moved to Nashville as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit of a baptism by fire kind of crash course in learning how to write a song. But it's hard to find your voice and what you want to say from the jump 
when you haven't given yourself a moment to kind of incubate in that? I remember coming out of that rooms crying. Maybe I was dramatic, but I just felt so creatively crap about it. I was like, mm. because, you know, it's interesting. This one journalist said to me, like, my first album didn't scan very well. You know, not in a negative, but it was quite clunky. You know, my phrases and my lyrics. And that's because I was an 18-year-old trying to get in all these massive feelings in mm. my writing and perhaps wasn't experienced enough to put it in an eloquent enough way. But I loved that. Yeah. I love the fact when you put on that record, you're listening to an 18-year-old young woman try and figure it out. Isn't that the perspective of an 18-year-old? That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't listen to Tori Amos and go like, oh, well, you know, if that verse had been a bit more compact. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I am not listening to her for that. So no regrets from where I'm standing. Um, I just wish, you know, people felt empowered to do everything their own way, be that collaborating with people or be that not. It took me a minute. I mean, you're 10 years younger than me. And I feel like I'm just arriving to some of these conclusions that you've already been living and putting into your music. Okay. And yeah, it's a really exciting time. It feels like a rebirth. Yeah. So it's reinvigorating me after having done this for so long. But just even how your writing process is evolving and starting to incorporate your partner into it as a collaborator or an editor. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's really cool that you established it and now you can start to tweak with it instead of just having someone say which is what my experience was a little bit like was this guy's the best writer and in nashville this is how we write a song and by three or four o'clock it's done and the editing and revision process was kind of non-existent it's hard to undo those things break those habits exactly they might be the best writer which basically means most easily consumed songs. There's the best writer of most easily consumed songs. And if you wanted to be a pop act or a pop star or somebody who harbors the most consumed material or vision, great. If you don't, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. But then maybe the other perspective is maybe he's the best person at getting it out of you. And maybe there are 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 of them in places. I'm just saying from my experience... It's certainly not how I felt about it going in some rooms, but I think it's more producers who are good at that. I've mm -hmm. met so many, especially male producers, who are incredible at doing that, of not making you feel judged, of making you feel open and allowed to express your musical thoughts and trying to get your sound and analyzing your sound and creating your sound. It's more producers I found that in than writers personally for me. Pre-production is extremely important and you can have a big producer like Dave Cobb who's worked on so many different people Chris Stapleton and Brandy and he's able to make records that sound like the artist produced by him not this production with a different vocalist on it which exactly. I know that sounds super simple and that's almost the bare minimum of what we expect of our producers but to really try and mine what it is that jade bird wants to sound like exactly. and making the environment friendly and it's a really difficult thing to pull together but people who understand chemistry and relativity and how to get like a group of people checking their egos at the doors and sometimes it just doesn't work like i've been with a few collaborators it's just a mismatch for whatever reason 
there's no magic in the room. And for example, like me and Dave, I think work well because I like to move on really quick. Lots of people spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on their record, days after days, deliberating. I personally find that is a source of complete doubt. So that's like sticking my hand into a puddle of like murky water. I find that so hard. So for me, having Dave, who's like, we're going to track the record live with incredible musicians. We're going to spend an hour after overdubbing and then we're kind of done. And for me, I was like, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. You know, but for someone else, that might have been like, oh, what? Like I spend, you know, Radiohead, for example, with Nigel Godrich, spend years like sure. perfecting it. So it's different. It's very personal, the creative process, as, you, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Different seasons, though. And for these songs, like these are real instruments. There's an organic, awesome living, breathing feeling about the songs that you've released thus far mm-hmm. from different kinds of light. And sometimes you don't need to beat a dead horse and that urgency and that live feeling that I feel like you and Dave definitely accomplished is alive. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Good. And sometimes Thank you don't want you. these songs to get stale and you don't want to wear people out or even psych yourself out that it needs more manicuring and it needs to be massaged until every imperfection and wrinkle is ironed out. Yeah. That's what I love about like, we talk about Americana or them things like often you'll go and see them bands and it had to be good life. Like it had mm. to be incredible life. There was no trap. There was no kind of hiding behind stuff. And I thrive in that environment because it's like the pressure you know, you want to be as good as your idols. So you've got to beat yourself up to like be that good. It's like, it's a whole thing. Like, and then you, then you win because then you get to capture the audience's attention. You get to capture the hearts of your audience. And it's just like this incredible, it's honestly as fun as a game. <laughs> you're just like, you're great. Take it out on the road. People might not like it. you got to convince them. I mean, it's really fun. Like I, <laughs> I live for that. I live for the fact that people don't just like you by... I'm not one of these people who believes, like, I show up so they should like me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm show up. I'm going to give them the best show ever. And then hopefully they like me. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. It's an open dialogue. It's not this closed dialogue. I'm not into that. Well, I think that is what will allow you to also lead a sustainable long career is your work so, ethic yeah. and... And what you said earlier, there are so many artists out there. There's so much noise to cut through that we got to put in a little bit more elbow grease just to mm-hmm. have these kinds of careers, taking it direct to our audience and now having that as a resource again, as our A&R and knowing that we don't have to decide on our own if this is really good or not. I always need the audience to kind of validate what we're doing i feel like that's my compass and i've been without it and it's um, hard yeah you're like putting out a whole record and you don't no one's heard it it's not road tested and you're just like oh you know like i found it the hardest thing deciding on what singles to put out so i'm just like don't know what goes down well i don't know if i've got duds all i'm going on is self-belief i think it's actually probably a nice rare situation that might prove quite fruitful because i've made whatever i want in a weird way. I've not cut something because it's not gone down well. I've, I think it's a good song that's going on there. But like you said, it is strange because I grew up testing every song on my first record with an audience. So it's going to be interesting. Well, I think 
you said it could be an opportunity and you offered a little insight into how you wrote your title track for mm-hmm. this album mm-hmm. and how being in Japan was an incredibly inspiring time. You were away from everyone and anything that you'd ever known. So it kind of makes sense to me that you're putting this album together and sequencing it, not having toured, given how introspective these songs appear to be, or I anticipate them to be given how you've spoken about the record. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool that you've been able to do all of this in your own space, being totally autonomous and it's ironic you say that because I think the strange common thread with this phase of my life and uh, being 23 and not kind of as young as I was, like, I think it's actually being able to put others first. I think this album is a lot to do with exploring somebody else, be that fictional character or be that my partner or be that someone who doesn't believe in himself or trying to extend empathy. And I think when you're young, naturally, it's all about you. I think when you're 18, you're like, me, me, me. And I think it's a natural instilling of just like, I don't even know why, but this kind of self-centeredness, maybe it's a healing thing. You know what I mean? Like if you had bad experiences with others when you're young, you go in, or at least probably is for me, but it's so nice to be able to not be like that as much anymore and to be thinking about others and my writing has improved mountains because of that i always said it you know to be a great songwriter you have to have a shit ton of empathy like if you're you know writing a book you want to be on the shoulder of the character you can't do that if you're so obsessed with yourself so i'm so proud of developing as a person over the pandemic you know and therefore by proxy a songwriter i think and it doesn't read as self-centeredness to me at all. It kind of seems like someone who's realizing their place in the world after having toured extensively as you have and played all these festivals and being in a place that's completely foreign, realizing how small you are and our connectivity mm-hmm. to one another through music. That's sort of how I read that, like just feeling out of place, all of us feeling collectively out of place during this time identity crises yeah which can be good to reset you know Mm -hmm. i don't want anyone to go through any trauma or pain and this time has been horrendous for people and sometimes to the demise of mental health so i want to be careful about saying you know like oh you know it's good for everyone to grow because might sound a bit patronizing i think i just don't take people for granted in my life Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't want to, and I've never been the person to do so, I think sometimes unknowingly you can fall into a trap when you're so busy and you right. know, trying to make it and trying to make it all work and be a workaholic and that kind of thing. So, yeah, like I said, I'm happy with that change. Yeah. Well, looking at your social media, it's pretty cool how you've minimized it to just zoom in and focus on what is happening right now, which is Mm -hmm. the release of this record in August and sharing insight behind each song as you're going to do as we evolve in revealing the track listing. (laughs) Yeah. It's really cool to see your fans engaging with you in a meaningful way. You Mm -hmm. showed us the cover of this record and I looked at some of the comments and first of all, your fans are very intelligent 
one person commented like, did you get inspiration from this installation artist? Because they yeah. use these warm tones for healing and light. And you were like, I did not have that intention there connecting with that specific artist, but those are all the things I was trying to yeah. achieve with this. That, yeah. The clothes and the minimalism of it kind of reminds me of Japan styles. So it's just like this artist who knows who they are with fans that seem to really be paying attention to everything that you're doing. Even the ticker of the letters as you're revealing the track listing, watching yeah. people try to figure that out. And my theory was that it looks like a train station oh, where all the letters cool. are changing. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. I think what's really important for people, especially, like I said, young artists to understand this, there's so many people behind all of that. There's a team. You know, there's so many people I respect and love with all my heart working with me on them things and bringing my visions to life. And so that's why I think it looks like it adheres to such a great image. It's like the creative director I was working with, Liz Hirsch. She heard mm. me. You know, I put on my Pinterest, like, apocalyptic yellows, like these big light installations. Like, I really loved all that stuff. And I turned up to the shoot. And you know what? Her and Colin Lane had cut out a huge foam circle of orange and backlit it. It was just this amazing moment for me of being like, I feel so heard in this mm. moment. I feel like all my ideas have been so heard which is an incredibly fortunate position to be in. So you just played in Maryland at a place called Ram's Head, mm -hmm. which is kind of where I'm from. Oh, wow. And... I have a resource who got your set list and they were saying that you cover Dolly Parton mm -hmm. and Black Star and Johnny Cash, Radiohead. I would like to know how involved is the process of your cover selection to supplement your original material? And My songs are so short. So my songs are like two and a half minutes. So I can play 18 original songs and still be cutting it at 52 minutes. So like, it's tough to put together a full set. And you know, on this tour specifically, I didn't want to play all the new material because I felt like fans are coming out, it's our first show back. Like, I don't want to be like, you will listen to all of the new songs you don't mm. know, you know? <laughs> right. I just felt that might have been a bit gratuitous when the album's not out. So a way of kind of combating that and having a nice break, a nice breather is to put a cover in. And the thing about covers for me is there's always a story behind the ones I cover. So it's like the Dolly Parton, Cher Atkins cover of Do I Ever Cross Your Mind. I could do three part with a support act, Savannah Conley, shout out. She's Nashville. She's incredible. I love Savannah. Yeah. She's amazing. Funniest person I know. Like Another genuinely. artist Dave Cobb has produced as well. Yeah. She's yes. phenomenal. And her record sounds totally different from yours. It's quite exactly. awesome. Exactly. Exactly. So like that meant we could do that and I was obsessed with that song. I listened to it on my porch in a very southern way, like again and again and again. The Gillian Welch, Dave Rollins cover of Radiohead. I just don't know anymore. Blame it on the blaster. Blame it on the fallen sky. Say 
I was kind of taken by that, really moved by it, so I chose to add it to the set. And Johnny Cash is where I started, you know, playing bars and clubs when I was a top. So, you know, I think it's not necessarily in a reductive way that's like putting covers in because I need to. I think mm. it's just like it adds to the story and it's fun and the audience love it. I've seen every road in this here What's the strongest indicator that you know you've found that balance of marketing efforts, but also to know that this is a representation of me? It's just gut instinct. Mm -hmm. You know, I sit there and I, I get asked by my manager or whoever, like, do you want to do this? And would you like to put this song in there? Would you like to cover something that will be worth, you know, more people will find you. And I sit there and I weigh up pros and cons and then I go, yes, I will do this. I never go against my gut. I'm never told to do something. Well, I'm never told to do something anyway. I think I'd be in the wrong team, but I'm never asked <laughs> to do something and then like go, ah, yeah, I'll do it. Never happens, so. Where were you when I was 19 years old? <laughs> I needed you to be like my big sister at that time. Oh. It was also a really different environment. I approach my younger self with a lot of compassion. You have this mm -hmm. song on Jade Bird, your self-titled album. It's called 17 mm -hmm. that I love because it just really captures that compassion for our younger self and how everything does seem clunky and yeah, and you're vulnerable. Like the biggest thing I've learned when like looking back at myself, like when I've been young, you know, in a kind of therapeutic situation, like you're extremely vulnerable. And I went through my vulnerable years thinking I was a hard ass, thinking I had <laughs> to be a hard ass. Like it was a lot of tough upper lip, like getting me through it all. And, you know, it hurts. And I think that's why my songs came out like they did despite being so young. It was a lot mm. of pain. And there's no easy way of putting that. And there's no easy way of telling somebody that. But unfortunately, like in pain, there's growth just as in happiness there is. And that always just trickles down into songwriting if that's who you are. Stay, let me explain why I act so mean. Don't look away, baby. It's not all that it seems. I'm so afraid that you just get up and leave. My heart will break like I'm 17. Break like I'm 17. I say less than I should. I say more. I know that you went to the Brit School of Performing Arts. And I did, yeah. Adele went there, Amy Winehouse, Leona Lewis. And I know that there's a notorious wall of alums who've gone on a photo wall. Are you mm -hmm. on the wall at the Brit School? I don't know. The one thing I will say about Brit is that there's a misconception of it being a fame academy. I think a yeah. lot of people assume because of the alumni, it's meant to just push out like big musicians, where in reality, the amazing thing about that school is it embraces individuality. Oh, you like jazz? Go and play with a country singer. Oh, you want to be a country singer? Go and play with this rap artist. It just meshes you together and under one common thread, which is music. 
it's customizable for the artist, like a good producer should be. Yeah, and it's also battling ego as well. Because mm. if you're 16 to 18, heavy ego there. I mean, I know yeah. from some of the rehearsal rooms, everyone thinks they're the shit or really doesn't. Right. And then you get in a room and you've got to make a performance work by the end of the year. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are at your thing. Now I've got to go and play Luther Vandross on piano. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's actually quite brilliant the way they do it. And I have nothing but good things to say about it. It's all for that reason. By no means was it like, oh, you're so great. You're so talented. It was just like, cool. Can you make this work? Can you do this? Can you learn about this? If you're yes. so great, like, which I loved. I thought that was amazing. You've hit the festival circuit. Glastonbury is such a cool notch to have on your belt. And then the festivals that you have coming up, I think it's just really cool to see the diversity with whom you're playing. Mm -hmm. But Dolly Parton being one of your songwriting heroes, and you guys played the Newport Folk Fest together. And all of a sudden you're on stage with Marin Morris and Amanda Shires, Natalie Hemby, the high women, Brandy Carlisle, your huge inspiration. And then Dolly walks out on stage and it just must have been absolutely surreal. You sometimes go out of yourself in their moments. And I think that was a little bit of that. I mean, the day was just so adrenaline run. I was so honored to be there, like insanely. Like when in their moments, I just feel so honored to be there that I just have to make it the best show ever. Like I have to try, even if mm-hmm. it doesn't you know, happen, I have to try. And I remember when that happened, it was just almost like a reward at the end of the day, the fact that I got to do that. I was mm-hmm. like, I remember coming in a big, like yellow canary yellow suit with like a big, you know, sequin wagon wheel on the back. Oh, I can see the suit in my mind right now. It was such an iconic yeah. moment. Yeah. I mean, the best thing, actually, we sung, I think, 95 with everyone, which was just felt timeless. <laughs> and then uh, her and Brandy sang I Will Always Love You together, and I was, like, moved. There are these moments like that where you try and go outside of your body so that you could absorb <laughs> as much of the experience as possible. You even want to see what you are doing in the moment. And... It just was like a very powerful thing to see the high women and you and yeah. this legend on stage at this iconic festival. I, I mean, know, that's what it's happy. all about. Oh, that's so good to hear. Like, I mean, that is literally what it's all about. I remember I Get No Joy, which is the one that goes down the world live. It's this really visceral, like, kind of screamy song. I love that song. Oh, it's a good shower, you. brush your teeth, <laughs> headbanging song. What do you because I remember I was getting so numb to playing all day, every day, like playing live. I needed something to like snap me back into reality. I remember writing that song in upstate New York and being like, this is the song. If I ever feel like I'm getting carried out of my body, sort of disassociating, this is what's going to bring me back. So, Thank you for sharing that. That's 
a feeling I have had many, many times. And I think in your title track of different kinds of light, that line where it's like, we're just surviving, we're not thriving. We've been surviving, not thriving, honey, living on time that's not ours. So who's going to call you tonight? Who's going to make you feel storms and thunder? Who's going to bring you to life? Who's going to make you feel beautiful? hit me hard and I think Mm -hmm. with I get no joy and like we need to remember to not always be in conservation mode where we're just going 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 and then at the end of the day there's nothing left you're not present yeah because then we can't be a vehicle for joy for people who are really looking to you for that I totally Um, agree but I certainly got joy from being able to witness that moment albeit virtually is pretty awesome do you think playing festivals like that because as someone who is uh, versatility is your brand, I would say, in some ways. Mm-hmm. By being in proximity to these other artists, is that a way to advance forward by exposing your music to their audience, learning from other artists, and just showing that you are someone who belongs in this space with people who are wildly different? Or It has been, but completely accidentally. Like yeah. I randomly went on a Brandy tour. And in the UK, you know, Brandy's music doesn't necessarily cross like a super amount. The UK isn't very into any sort of country at all. So it wouldn't have crossed over. And I literally got thrown on a Brandy show to, I think two or three shows maybe. And I just, I saw all her family and I saw her and I saw her play and I saw her confidence and her calm and her charisma. And I was like, Oh my God. I remember being like struck because I was so young and I didn't think you could have a family as a woman if you wanted to be a musician. I didn't even think you could take a kid on a tour bus, you know, a dog, let alone a kid. <laughs> and I remember seeing her and being like, oh, so you can. Oh, so it's possible. She'll never understand how much that meant to me as a young person and seeing that possibility. Um, and it's the same for everybody. It's the same for when I got thrown up with Hosier, Lumineers, you know, these big support kids, Brent, I just found out accidentally that when I get put in front of their audience, which is associated with Americana, I thrive. Like, talk about surviving, thriving. Like, I thrive in that environment. So, totally accidental. All of this mm-hmm. is, like, kind of coincidence and happy marriage, I think. I think festival audiences, too, are really specially designed where they want to absorb a variety and get on board and discover yeah, no one says, oh, I found you from an internet ad. Like when I go to the merch <laughs> and after a show, they're like, I saw you at Hosier. I saw you at Hosier. I saw you at Brandy. I saw you at Call to Wall. You know, like no one says, I saw you because you were advertised on my Instagram page. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jade Bird. And need I remind you, We are speaking with a 23-year-old here, lest you forgot, and she's wise beyond her years. And I'm sure you picked up some of the context clues throughout our conversation, but this took place right before we both were about to hit the road. So she and I had some pretty 
immense anxiety induced by this whole re-entry period. And she in particular was just weeks away from releasing her new album, Different Kinds of Light. And she conducted herself with poise and confidence. And it was really inspiring to see an artist who, in the midst of all this craziness, knew that she was taking her music and her art exactly where she wanted to take it. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation was how graceful she is with herself and the process. I love how she talks about her younger self, her 18-year-old self releasing her debut album. And yes, she describes it as clunky, but more importantly, she identifies that that was the most authentic portrayal of her music and art that she could put forth at that time. She had these huge feelings that were indescribable, and she encapsulated them in her music in a way that only she can. And that reminds me that we can all be works in progress. The bravery of putting forth the best work that you can at this moment in time with the tools in your toolbox is art. And hopefully, years from now, I won't look back at what I'm doing today with a critical eye, but more with admiration for my younger self and being brave enough to let people in on those stages of development. We're all works in progress. So let's get back to Jade Bird. You also were so good about getting your music out there during the pandemic, helping other artists. You Mm -hmm. were pretty vocal about how you were dissatisfied with the general attitude towards music and the arts and that they were neglected a little bit. And I feel that way, but what were some of the solutions that you were trying to put forward or things that you were doing to draw more attention to that? It's hard. The UK is quite difficult at the minute. Our government is extremely conservative and we've just cut off ties with the EU, which means for musicians, touring is about to get a hundred times harder and a hundred times more expensive. There's nothing you can really do with that. You can protest as we've been doing for years, but it's still going to happen. And I guess what disappoints me more is, you know, I've spoken a lot about this, but festival bills in the UK, especially, but worldwide, underrepresenting women. And I'm just tired. I am tired of seeing bill after bill with no headlining women. I don't get it. I'm beyond frustrated about that to the point where I just don't understand why male artists, because they're the ones that are getting book comp, boycott these festivals, but no one does. No one ever does. So really, really tired about that. But in terms of what I do, I just try and keep a community close to me. I'm in Austin. I'm trying to meet new artists. I'm trying to bring new artists on stage. I'm trying to do all that stuff that my heroes have done. It's hard to make any bigger splash than that, but I'm sure things will come together, like I said, a boycotting or something of these festivals, because that is doing my head in. Like, Well, it's least. just strange to see like a five-day festival, and I've talked to other artists, female artists, they're like, oh, I'm on it too. And of course, we're not on the same day, because God forbid we're booked on the same day. We've already got that slot filled. And it just also seems like a little bit of an afterthought and not just in the festival circuit, but in the writing rooms and sometimes where, well, we need to get a girl involved in this round or The figures are just ridiculous. Like I'm reading this book, she proclaims by the same author as like give Madam President Mm -hmm. and the figures and business in general is just, overwhelmingly insane it's a new era though i really do intend to stand with women in this new era and keep pushing our motivation to be equally represented 
that's something I've been passionate about since I started, you know, women's rights and especially women's healthcare rights and stuff like that. So like I said, I really hope this era continues. Yeah. I think you've been vocal about being a feminist, about putting more emphasis on the arts, about mental health awareness. It's really wonderfully intentional. And then even what you're saying earlier about collaborating with other female creators, photographers, making sure that we are just being aware that they are there. Yeah. And every woman has a story. That's what winds me up. Every woman has this. Every woman who is a professional woman and even isn't like that, but as a professional woman in their workplace has a story of me of being harassed or not treated fairly and it always being enough blurred lines through the hands of the males in that environment so they can't persecute or they can't go, they can't get the upper hand. And obviously I can't even talk about the people now because for, for their sake. So I am tired of it and I will continue through my career to support them women. So you're absolutely right, I'm a feminist. It is really annoying. I don't want to end on a bad note, like a really aggressive note, but it is so annoying. Yeah. Well, I will save you from ending on a bad (laughs) note because you already are doing that work. I can see that by agreeing to be on this show, you're doing that and just this conversation. Thank you for um, having me on. I really needed it this week (laughs) in particular, just because of this re-entry anxiety and dealing with imposter syndrome and knowing that there's that community out there is so important, which is why I wanted to start this podcast during such a dark time for us as women, as creators. And it's been just an absolute gift, but I've ended every episode on a positive note with the question of what you perceive to be an advantage of being a woman in the industry? Oh, that's an amazing question. Being underestimated, I think, is always an advantage. I think in my career, being young and being a woman, I always felt like I could just smash through whatever people thought I was going to do. Be that live in a blues bar at 16, be that in a pub at 14. Like I was just like, no, you know what? I'm going to smash this. And you're going to watch your faces when I do. Well, that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jade Bird. Keep up with her on her socials at Jade Bird Music. You can find all of her upcoming tour dates on her website, www.jade-bird.com. And make sure to stream or purchase her new record, Different Kinds of Life. Support her new music. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. You can find me on With the Band, where you can get exclusive Salute the Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. And I hope to see you out on the Have a Seat tour. We still have a lot of upcoming dates for the remainder of the year. You've been listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening. And to close out the show, here's Head Start from Jade Bird. This 
Service.